Tell it. I like you. I think you got what it takes. You got the right stuff. I'm gonna put you on night shift. That's where all the good stuff happens. Hi, I'm Daryl. And I'm Petros. And welcome to episode five of Getting the Foe You, season two, where from Heaven's Gate to the present day, join us as we get to know Willem Dafoe in this dedicated Dafoe podcast. So here we are, it seems like the blink of an eye, and we're at the midpoint of season two, the sexy season. <laughs> oh, we're, we're full. We're up to our up to our nipples and sexy right about now. Kind of, <laughs> by, by the end of the season, we're going to be drowned in sexy. And uh, we've we've started in a skin tight goblin gliding gear. We've gone to a sexy hotel. We've been wearing leather and fucking dicking around for the last two episodes. But now it is time for something uh, a a little different. Sexy in its own Oscar Isaac kind of way. Uh, not so sexy in a Willem Dafoe military war criminal kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know he looks like he looks like he's kind of got a, a ned flanders as a daddy vibe to him i guess <laughs> if if ned flanders was a psychopath it would be a willem dafoe in this movie <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh we come to of course the card counter from 2021 let's say between the three of us and our guest ourselves and our guest We've got some thoughts on this one. We are, of course, joined by Hannah Strong for this episode as well, where we're going to talk about the polarising nature of the film. One of the three of us didn't quite like this as much as the others. You'll find out who. We're talking about gambling in films and one of the most wonderful and unhinged places on the internet. It is, of course, Paul Schrader's Facebook page. (laughs) Welcome to my TED Talk. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boys, that lad got some posts. (laughs) <laughs> so geez what a time what, what a what a midway point for the sexy season petros i don't know about you but uh oh it's uh it, it just shivers me proverbial timbers oh this is this is a great play this 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 season has been exciting in the sense that there's been a lot of upset and there's been ups and downs like we, we say we, we say in the intro we're doing the, the ups and downs of willem dafoe like all, all the time in this podcast we're, we're getting the ups and downs of our of, of of us with the guest do you know what i mean we've already had two two us disagreeing with the guest we've got we've got an upset here it's kind of it's off it's off the chain it's sexy it's dangerous do you know what i mean this is this is real kind of nail biting stuff we just don't know where this train is going do you know what i mean it's off the bloody tracks <laughs> they say a lot of stuff about the defoe commotion train but we will never tell you the destination um because it's sex in the mystery baby <laughs> um but something that isn't quite such a mystery it's all the avenues that you've got to reach out and talk all things defoe with us all those wonderful socials uh so petros where can they find us online so you can find us at defoe you pod on twitter instagram and tiktok where we'll be getting up to some sexy sexy stuff because we're a couple of sexy sexy boys or you could drop us an email which is defoe pod at gmail.com delightful stuff so reach out your defoe daddies are always ready for you to take a proverbial seat upon their proverbial knees. Um, <laughs> it's the sexy season, don't cancel me. Um, so, with that said, let's jump into the episode. It's the card counter, and we'll see you on the other side. Enjoy. Ta. Getting to know you, getting to know all about Willem. 
Getting to like you by watching all your films. This week, we head on down to the casino for the 2021 drama, The Card Counter. The foe plays Major John Gordo, an ex-military man with a dark past quickly catching up to him. Helping us get to know Defoe a little better this week and see if this movie strikes the jackpot or is just not worth the gamble is writer, editor and author, it's Hannah Strong. Hannah, thank you very, very much for joining us today. How the devil are you? Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm I'm good. I, I'm excited to talk about uh, one of my favorite actors in one of my favorite films of recent memory. I think uh, that I was actually rewatching the trailer in kind of preparation for this because I didn't have time to watch the film again, but I have seen it three times. So I think I'm, I'm pretty like, you know, familiar with it. Um, but I was rewatching the trailer and I was thinking like, man, this film was so good. And obviously the UK just totally butchered the release. I think it was out for like a week or something. And yeah, just made me quite sad that like such a great film got like no kind of love. But that's what we're here for today. We're here to, <laughs> you know, I'm here to like, you know, kind of go door to door, like going, have you heard about the card counter? Would you like to know more about the card counter? So. <laughs> we're selling it in volumes. We've got <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> the first yeah. volume now, we'll get the second one out to you. It's not it's a encyclopedia yeah. door to door. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, if nothing else, we can... Um, you know, help you relive all those sad memories through the medium of podcasting. So that's going to be exciting. <laughs> but before we jump into sort of our respective thoughts on uh, the card counter and all things in between, we've got to ask, especially with new guests, how well do you know Defoe, Hannah Strong? So we want to dive into your Defoe history a little bit. And with things like that, we are pondering, um, what was your first Defoe film? Uh, do you know how many you've seen? And you know, what are your general views on the man we call Willem Defoe? Um, my first one being at the age I am, I, I'm the first one I remember seeing was Spider-Man, um, oh, yeah. you know, a, a classic of the genre. And I think <laughs> um, I was at that at that kind of age where you're, you know, you're not really aware of like actors in any kind of proper sense. You're just kind mm. of like, oh, that's that guy from that thing, you know, like um, so <laughs> Willem Dafoe kind of terrified me as a kid because like he was so um, scary as the Green Goblin. <laughs> I was genuinely like quite afraid of him i think i was only oh. about nine when the film came out so i was like you know really he made, he made quite an impression on me um <laughs> i take it the norman osborne action figure wasn't on your christmas list that year. no no absolutely <laughs> not no i was also like i loved james franco that's not aged very well um <laughs> so you know i was like very like sad about how how he treats uh, james franco in that film but um i mean a great performance a very good one to start out on uh, i actually rewatched all three Spider-Man films a couple of Christmases ago with some friends and like one of the things that stood out was like how good Willem Dafoe is in uh, that first film like he's just you know he, he's giving so much to that role that like he really didn't need to like he goes hard with it and like mm -hmm. it, you know the film is kind of really um lives lives and dies on that performance and it's no wonder they brought him back for uh whatever it was no the spider spider-man yeah. no way no way home homecoming whatever it was called I, I, <laughs> they all kind of blur into one after a while don't they like yeah. this is like i respect the simplicity of just spider-man 
Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 3, like that's it. Simpler time, 2002, <laughs> I've said it before, I'll say it again, 2002, what a year. <laughs> yeah, we, we effectively have like Defoe bingo here, which is, uh, we asked that question, pretty much everyone's first Defoe so far has been Spider-Man, so you've, you're in very good company. Imagine if someone just went Antichrist, I was 10, like you'd be like... Well- are you okay? <laughs> we're trying to weed out the posers. Do you know what I mean? I was actually the loveless, but like, fuck. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think, like, what other kind of, you know, kid-friendly movies would he have, like, he's, has he done voices? Has he been in any kind Finding of... Nemo. Finding, Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so Finding Nemo was probably... They, they were probably both around the same time. Yeah. But obviously I had no yeah. idea who Willem Dafoe... Like, I wouldn't know him well enough to recognize you know <laughs> sat in, sitting there going wow albert brooks is great in this film you know? <laughs> like, uh no no i wasn't quite quite on that level but um but yeah i mean i it, ever since it's been a, a love affair like I, I think every time i watch an old film uh, with him in i'm just so delighted especially when it's one that i didn't realize he was in and i'm just like oh my god world of Fire's here that's great like i'm i'm there's a few actors that i'm always just like so happy when they appear on my screen and he is the kind of presence that he's been around for so long and made so 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 many films you do sometimes just find him popping up in like the randomest places and it's it's delightful yeah i i believe we were at the same screening of to live and die in la uh hannah um <laughs> uh, w- what did you think of defoe in that that was like our favorite film that we covered in season one yeah. like what did you think of defoe in that so I'd been waiting to watch that for quite a long time because I'd heard how good it was and I wanted it to be like a, a good viewing experience. Sometimes when I hear a film is really good, I want to have the experience of watching it in like a way that I think is going to do it justice. So I was actually like very, very sad circumstances under which it screened again at the French Charles, but I, I was very yeah. happy that they did screen it because I'd been waiting for so long to watch it. So, I mean, he's just magnificent in that film. Like he's so good. He's so... <sighs> feline i want to say like there's just yeah. this kind of like grace to that performance he's so quiet and unsettling and up against like william peterson's like very kind of machismo like, like you know the the bad cop like energy he's just like you you kind of end up end up siding a little bit more with defoe in it because um yeah. well, like, you know he's just like printing money like that he's not really <laughs> like, 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 at least he has the the decency to give his significant other daphne from frasier as a parting gift whereas like william peterson's just like fuck everyone do you know what i mean he's like he's like he's like if if, if you turn on me to like his informant like if yeah if if, if you wrap me out you're going back you're going back to prison it's like yeah it's blackmailing black Mailing sex workers. Yeah. Great look for him. I mean, he's like very hot in that film, but like, that's, <laughs> that's not the point. That's not the point. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, it, I mean, it's just such an amazing film. I, I'm kind of like sad it took me so long to watch it because that could have been in my life so much earlier. But um, what a what a picture and what a performance. And uh, I had an amazing exchange and I can't believe I'm saying this on this podcast or podcasts, but um, I was coming out of the cinema and my friend and I went, when did, um, it, you know, it, it, it's kind of weird that Willem Dafoe like sounds more German as he's got older. And she's like, he's not German. And I was like, oh, I just, I had just thought for all these years that Willem Dafoe was German. I saw Willem and just assumed he must be German. And yep. I, you know, that, that yeah. was a real, like, 30 years old, finally learned Willem Dafoe was not German. Not even close, like, not, not even like, oh, he's from some other 
Eastern, like, you know, kind of country. It's like, no, he's he's American. He's fully American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, <laughs> he's got a very European face. I don't, I don't know what that says. I'll just leave that hanging. I'm not going to clarify that in any way. He has a, he has a European face. And uh... and he made a lot of films of Lars von Trier. Like, you know, I feel like, you know, there, there were reasons, like, I was thinking that. And I know now, obviously, like, he lives in Italy and, like, you know, he um, speaks, like, loads of languages and he's a real kind of um, intellectual. So I think I just assumed, like, I was just like, this incredibly talented, quite severe looking man could not possibly be an American like, <laughs> no offense to the Americans listening but yeah th- yeah I mean r- a real kind of moment for me realizing that <laughs> hey this is a this is the discovery podcast if nothing else <laughs> we're learning stuff it's a safe space to share our default opinions our d- d- opinions if you will <laughs> so what we've learned is that we believe that Defoe had such a unique face, he must have been German. <laughs> yeah, God, if I ever meet him, I feel like I, I, it would be quite a good icebreaker just to like, yeah, yeah, funny story. I just assumed he must be German because you're so like unusual looking. I'm sure he would not at all find that offensive and a weird thing to say. <laughs> it's better than our one. Our one would be like, are the rumours true that your penis had to be doubled for Antichrist because it's confusingly large? <laughs> <laughs> Look, we've got a lot of seasons to ask the question coming up. That's, that's all. That's all we're saying. But I'm sure it'd be a new one for all the uh, uh, the uh, sort of opinions about his face as well. He, he said before, he's like, my face just does what it wants, really. I just seem to hear at uh, this stage in his life, he's like, that it was German. Then I think I'm sure he's heard that before. He must have heard that before. Like. I don't think that would be a surprise to him. At this point, I don't think anything could probably surprise that man. He's lived so many lives. And, <laughs> you know, like, the kind of people he's worked with, you must have seen it all. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Surely, I mean, if, if we can get in contact with his agent, like, the, the first thing we'll probably ask is, does he have any interest in doing a podcast? The second <laughs> is, on a scale of, you know, like America to sort of Europe, where would you put his face? Just just darn, darn a map, darn a map. <laughs> Uh, asking all the big questions but in terms of all the big stuff it's time of course to go to that section of the show with mr petros pat syllabus for this week's you guessed it de facts and de figures oh do i have some de facts and de figures for you ladies and gentlemen this film the card counter from 2021 is written and directed by Paul Schrader. It stars Oscar Isaac, Tiffany Haddish, Ty Sheridan, and our very own war criminal daddy, Willem Dafoe. It has a score by Gina Carlo Vacano and Black Rebel Motorcycle Club's very own Robert Levin Bean. The film premiered at the 78th annual Venice Film Festival on September the 2nd, 2021, before getting a release in the US on September 10th and the UK on on November 5th. The budget for this film is a mystery online, but he has said on interviews that this and First Reformed, I trying to part out if it they together cost $5 million or they were $5 million a piece. So that still hangs a mystery in my mind. The box office return on this film was $5,040,860 worldwide. It made it the 101st highest grossing film in the US box office, uh, which made it just ahead of a film titled Land and just behind the film Lamb. So this is a land lamb sandwich, the card counter. It has an IMDb score of 6.2 out of 10, a Rotten Tomatoes of 87% with 229 reviews, an audience score of 42% with over 100 ratings, and the critic 
consensus reads, led by Oscar Isaac's gripping performance, the card counter adds another weighty chapter to Paul Schrader's long inquiry into man's moral responsibility. Our first Defoe sighting is at 19 minutes and 44 seconds as he delivers a lecture on facial recognition software. And his first line is, polygraphs have historically been the problem child of investigation and law enforcement he has the best lines doesn't he so that is <laughs> the facts and the de figures so the synopsis of this one is uh the card counter tells the story of an ex-military interrogator turned gambler haunted by the ghosts of his past who is offered a chance at redemption when he meets a young man seeking revenge now for yourself Hannah, you sort of mentioned earlier that you've seen this movie a handful of times uh, do you recall sort of the first time that you saw it how that came about what your impressions were uh when this one first drops yes i was so i was really really excited about this film from the kind of the second i knew about it because i'm a massive oscar isaac fan as well as being a willem dafoe fan and i'd seen i'd seen a handful of paul schrader films beforehand um i'd seen first reformed and loved first reformed and this was announced quite quickly after first reformed came out so um I'd, it'd been on my radar and then um, it premiered at the Venice Film Festival and I had colleagues who were there and they were all raving about it. And so I was, you know, kind of unspeakably jealous that they'd all got to see it. And um, <laughs> I was like waiting and waiting for them to screen it in um, London. And I was very keen to interview Oscar Isaac. And then uh, as it turned out, he didn't do any press for the film in the UK. So um, <laughs> my dream my dream was very quickly dashed. Um, <laughs> so I think I ended up seeing it in like a dark, like a dark, of course it was a dark room, it's a cinema, <laughs> in a, a quite a small screening room, I think at Universal's like offices where they do a lot of press screenings. And mm. I think it was like me and one other person. It might, I might've even been on my own. I can't remember exactly, but I remember it being like quite a strange way to experience the film. But um, yeah, I, I I loved it. I mean, I kind of like Schrader was really playing to the crowd here. Like I, I, I am the exact, maybe not who Schrader thought this film was for, but like I, it is the quite kind of intersection of a lot of Venn, diagra- uh, Venn diagram circles for me. Like you've got Oscar Isaac, you've got Willem Dafoe, you've got Tiffany Haddish, you've got gambling, which I have absolutely no interest in kind of real life but i love watching films about gambling i just find them really interesting so yeah it was like it seemed like the kind of perfect storm for me and um yeah i just thought it was magnificent i thought it was uh incredibly tense and dark and strange and oddly like lovely towards the end like um which isn't something people really say about paul schrader films i don't think many times you come out of them and go wow i feel like my life has been affirmed by that um you normally come out and you're like oh my god i want whiskey and to like never speak to a human being again yeah so so yeah like i i do think it's one of his best films and um kind of like as i said at the beginning a little bit sad about the way it kind of just like was shoved out into the abyss in the uk and didn't get a big fanfare because i feel like it really deserved it i think it's such a great film those i was i was chuckling when you were reading facts about the um rotten tomatoes like the rift between um audience reception and critical reception there is very funny to me it's a, it, well it's a polarizing film like in my kind of research for this i was kind of like listening to other like just kind of podcast reviews on it and stuff like that and I, a, a, a lot of people and i don't know I, I sound like a you saying like that thing of loving 
gambling movies there were people who like wanted it to be i think in that kind of mold of like i don't know why anyone wants to film in this mold but like 21 or something like that or like <laughs> that one moment in the hangover when alan's like like counting cards and stuff like that and it's like Paul Schrader film was never going to be that like it's kind yeah. of like, it's it's a film that kind of I don't know deals with like it's the job of the card counter is just the way of talking about something in the way that like Paul Schrader has kind of been doing this throughout his whole career right with like American Gigolo or as far back as like Taxi Driver it's like the taxi driver is just the surrogate to like talk about the the ills of elsewhere or like kind of how fucked America is essentially <laughs> Yeah, I think maybe if you went into it expecting like some kind of like white knuckle ride about, um, you know, kind of how to actually count cards and whatnot, then maybe you'd be a bit like, oh, I didn't expect I was going to get lectured about like American imperialism and what <laughs> happened at Guantanamo Bay. And, uh, you know, like, um, I, I do understand why people might be was like false advertising, I guess. But um, as someone who, you know, had kind of seen Schrader's films and really like, I, I'm very much enjoying his like lonely man um, bullshit that he's like been on for quite a while now. Mm. Um, I feel like yeah, you have to kind of meet Schrader where he's at in a lot of uh, a lot of cases. And um, for me, it really it, it it really worked. I think it's a very confrontational film in a lot of ways. And I think that I remember reading criticism at the time that was kind of like, oh, why is it trying to get me to feel sorry for this guy who tortured mm-hmm. uh, people in the Middle East? And I was like, I don't think it's trying to get you to kind of feel sorry for him i think it's kind of like offering an insight into what it's like to like live with that kind of guilt and the idea that you can't get away from that guilt and that burden and you have to kind of live with yourself and what you've done and uh, if you've done kind of terrible things um yeah i think it's just a really like the, the kind of moral quandaries that arise from it are very interesting to me and it's such a well cast movie as well i think it gives oscar isaac a chance to do something we haven't seen him do before tiffany haddish finally gets a kind of more serious role she's mm-hmm. someone that constantly i think is kind of overlooked in films uh, she's just kind of cast as like comic relief but i think she's actually like a a very strong dramatic actress and willem dafoe obviously gets to do something a bit different for him as well he's getting to do something a little bit more toned down but <laughs> equally chilling i would say in this film just in a very kind of different way yeah i mean what i'd say from a, a willem dafoe perspective is can we get more of that mustache please <laughs> <laughs> i love the Fantastic. mustache that should not be as like like that's like a ned flanders mustache it shouldn't be as like unsettling as it is but it becomes like kind of <laughs> you know that a guy with that mustache shouldn't be as like terrifying as, as he feels, <laughs> you know. Like, yeah, Willem Dafoe with that mustache and a fisheye close up on his face in like a prison <laughs> is like, <laughs> holy shit! Like this is this image is um you know got some thoughts racing through my mind here. That's why is this image not a meme? Already, <laughs> goddamn it! Oh, it has become a meme on like certainly in like my circles. Like that meme that 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 screenshot gets a lot of mileage. Oh. I, 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 which I, I love to see because I think I know exactly what shot you mean, and it is a great shot. Because I also just like <laughs> that in isolation it's so funny but then in the kind of context of the film you're like when you actually know kind of where that originated from it's like oh my god it's quite dark (laughs) yeah i I think i'm cursed with like like the millennial brain of like i can only see things in meme format which is going to be you know the curse of this generation terminal terminal brain worms yeah Uh, that's what they do to you (laughs) terminal brain memes uh the rolodex of memes is always turning and i haven't slept in weeks (laughs) because i'm just 
just chasing the dragon of that next big meme. This is like Trader's next film, surely. Like it's just about <laughs> a guy who can't stop making memes. Like, <laughs> oh, God, I, I mean, I, I hope, I hope that's what's coming. It's been like, like me, and I, I've sort of said it on the podcast. Like, I, I consider myself, and we're sort of talking about that divide of the, um, the Rotten Tomato scores, critics versus sort of audience, and like what sort of a divide that is, and sort of that chasm in the scores there. And I know for myself, I consider myself just a very much a Joe Schmo when it comes to movies. I don't consider myself an expert. I, I am sort of podcasting's silliest of geese. God gives his silliest geese his toughest challenges, of course. <laughs> so I'm not too au okay fait with like the works of Schrader. I, I've only seen, on a Nick Cage basis, is, is it Dying of the Light and Dog Eat Dog? That's kind of the Schrader as director that I'm aware wow. of. You've really been to like the Nadir of the Schrader. <laughs> like, the, those are not the good ones either. <laughs> Look, uh, there, there are different podcasting commitments I have elsewhere. You must have seen um, Bringing Out the Dead. That's not, is that, that's, no, that's Scorsese. Written by him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 okay, there we go. I was like, yeah, this is the problem with being a film critic. It's like, I don't have the instant recall a lot of my like colleagues do i have to kind of really like dredge stuff out the back of my brain yeah um, another, another lonely man in that case you know you know that's that's a good one but he didn't direct it so yeah, yeah. um <laughs> you spoke about your first time of this being like well at least you were either alone or like almost had that feeling mm. i saw this in a relatively like i don't know i would say like i don't know two-thirds filled like cinema screening but i've had that feeling of feeling alone because it was like i could palpably feel everyone else not enjoying it and i was kind of like in my like misanthropic bag of like yes give me this tortured man like like not seeing myself in the character of william tell but seeing that aspect of like we all have these regrets in our life and obviously this film just like amps it up to like 11 where it's like this is a guy who like has committed atrocities do you know what I mean and like how we're all under these kind of power structures and in, in, in kind of any like employment you kind of feel like everyone at the top's like getting away with shit and we're just getting <laughs> fucked at the bottom and it's kind of like you can you can take that, that away from it and it's like just the kind of malaise of this film as well it's just like this is the kind of this is the kind of shit I enjoy. This is that kind of like seventies fuck the world. Like we're all we're all gonna die, baby, and we're all, we're all fucked. So let's embrace it. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's interesting. Like that even in a kind of a filled screen, you can have that that sense of isolation of like. I kind of walked out being like, yeah, I, I, I think I was the, one of the only people in that. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of like, what the fuck that? like as, as people were filing out and I'm kind of there sitting through the credits being like soaking it all in. Yeah, well, I mean, you got it because the credits are great on this film. Okay. But um, uh, yeah, no, I actually, the second time I saw it, um, which I went on my birthday because my birthday was like the two about 10 days after it opened and we had to go to a cinema in um notting hill to find somewhere that was showing it and it was me my friend and then like five people because it was like the middle of the day on a wednesday and um yeah very much the same no, no one else in the cinema not even my friend was enjoying it and i was there like <laughs> having a great time and i'd already forced her to go and watch the last duel two weeks before and she also didn't like the last year so i was just like oh, zero be, I, I was being that like problematic cinema bro who's like yeah it's gonna be great and like taking this, <laughs> this like very violent 
very upsetting films um, which I had a great time at but um, yeah I, I mean I think Schrader like having seen some of his other films in the cinema like more so I think than someone um, who I would consider a peer of his like William Friedkin like I think To Live and Die in LA is a good kind of um, comparison point because that film is so kind of like go 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 but it's dealing with a lot of like similar themes to um, Schrader's like 70s 80s work does um whereas i think Schrader's films are a lot more kind of for the most part um meditative and you know kind of slow and like the the kind of creeping dread comes on uh, you know it kind of comes on like a, a, a the tide coming in is how mm-hmm. i would describe it so i think that that idea of like watching they're not like this kind of experience where you go and you're like woo, like you know cheering everyone's like clapping the screen and everything <laughs> um, there's none of that kind of like catharsis with him which is what I, <laughs> no. I love about his films I just think they're so kind of miserable and then you see him interviewed and he just seems like the funniest kind of like grumpy old man like coming out with these little quips and um yeah I I um I totally get like get that vibe I think even something like First Reformed which I saw a couple of times at the cinema in like packed screenings it was still kind of like everyone there was like having an existential crisis on their own and did not want to like engage with anyone around them what I found interesting about like Paul Schrader because I'm I'm fascinated by that kind of uh, peer group he's from like kind of Francis Ford Coppola's I guess like Spielberg and Lucas kind of tangentially linked as you mentioned William Friedkin Scorsese and it's like bar from like Scorsese like Paul Schrader seems to be like I know this makes me sound really old but like the hippest of them like he seems to be like do you know what I mean like down to his choices like the kind of the, the score choice in this film particularly and like you look at like the Master Gardener the kind of third entry into the man in a room trilogy it's like he's got Devonte hines doing the score on that one and the kind of like i don't know using people like uh oscar isaac in this kind of like unique way it's like i don't know it's like spielberg's making like do you know what i mean like films for everyone or like do you know what i mean he's making the, the, the personal film whereas like paul schrader's making these yeah i, I guess they are personal because there's like this film particularly even though it's not about religion like uh, first form somewhat is like th- this film like I, f- I think the kind of touchstone like if, if you were to get a whiteboard and like write a word in the middle of it for this film it's like all about absolution and it's a mm. man's like sh- 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 like surging for some kind of absolution and obviously like the tiffany haddish character being like yeah well being a female character and it's like can a man like can we have those like almost uh women who can kind of do you know what I mean like almost like in a biblical sense of like the mother like kind of giving you absolution at the the end of the day and it's like the whole story really is like and i think paul schrader's talked about this in interviews is like that idea of he wants to do what kirk with a c wants to do he wants to he wants to find john gordo he wants to kill him he's like but if i kind of put this almost like biblical test in front of me if i can convince him not to do it then that convinces me that there is a way out for me but if he can't if if, if i can't succeed in this then and we're all damned and it's kind of like it's such like a rich in that kind of vein of being like when you look at it through this kind of yeah and Paul Schrader himself I think didn't watch a movie till like his 20s or like late late teens because he was raised a Calvinist like really strict religious upbringing and stuff like that and it's like the fact that that's like still there now and the fact that like he can make like the, the film for all of the grimness of it there's a coolness to it I don't I, I and that, that it feels almost you can't put a finger on what it is about it and it's like it's it's not even like 
cool casinos or anything like that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it is. And like, do you know what I mean? When he's not in the casinos, he's in like the most terrifying looking motel rooms ever or the most kind of pedestrian looking middle American like uh, settings, whether it's diners or kind of pool sides or do you know what I mean like prison car parks it's like there is there is this I don't know yeah like hipness to it and it's interesting that Schrader taps into that I mean Jacob Elordi's in his new one so like he he really does seem to have his finger on the pulse I don't know if it's because like he is online and like maybe <laughs> he's kind of more engaged with culture I mean he's definitely engaged with culture because he tells us what he's going to see at the cinema he's like oh yeah I went and saw Barbie you know he's like a guy who goes to the movies which is you know I think that there are some filmmakers who don't engage with modern film culture um and you can kind of tell in their work whereas people like paul schrader people like martin scorsese are are kind of like you can tell that they're watching movies they care about movie making beyond like the films that they're making and schrader god love him like he is not afraid to kind of give his opinions either and i think that that must be kind of what's the word um refreshing i guess to like younger um Mm. actors and kind of you know people like oscar isaac who is like he's very vocal about kind of how seriously he takes his craft and kind of like how he wants to challenge himself as an actor so I think that someone like Schrader probably appeals to that kind of like enthusiasm that someone like Oscar Isaac or Ethan Hawke like has for the craft and um you know he's he's very efficient as well he gets these things done quickly for you know not a lot of money and uh that must also be quite appealing to a lot of actors it's just like okay let's go let's shoot this movie let's just get on with it like you know I, I really admire that about him. This film got a really bum deal in the fact that it was a twenty day shoot and five days before before wrapping. It was like March sixteenth and someone tested positive for COVID and they had to shut down. At the time that here, here is a here is a Facebook post from Paul Schrader at the time. Production halted five days before wrap. My pussified production uh, producers because of LA day player had coronavirus. Myself, I would have shot through the hellfire rain to complete the film. I'm old and asthmatic. What better way to die than on the job? What a guy. <laughs> what a guy. I remember seeing him at Jesus. Venice for the uh, the year that Master Gardner was there. And he had like, he actually turned out later he had COVID. But everyone's like, oh my God, I think Paul Schrader might drop dead at the festival. He looks so rough. And then, yeah, like a week later, he was like, got COVID, guys. And everyone was like, it's no wonder he looks so rough. Then obviously I, see, I saw him on... Um, in uh, uh, Vulture, like there was an amazing profile of him uh, talking about his wife who is in a, um, a care facility and he lives there in the kind of housing they have for like family. And it was a really beautiful profile. I'd highly recommend listeners check that out if they haven't. Uh, so he's good now. And obviously, yeah, he's shooting this film, O Canada now. So he's he's doing good. Back with Richard Gere as well. Like, yes. Yes. I mean, taking it back to Defoe like this is like the fifth film they made together so like they he's probably his like longest standing kind of collaborator beyond like any of the kind of crew that he works with he brings people back a lot but yeah I mean it's interesting that after all that time they've worked together in this film it feels like he's getting Defoe to really do something quite different and pay, play against type in some ways um because the character of oh gosh what's his name John Gordo John Gordo yeah. <laughs> John Gordo a classic Schroeder name if ever there was one is yeah very kind of like I mean incredibly like malicious and evil but in a very different way like you know a different way from something like obviously the Green Goblin or kind of how cartoonishly unsettling he is in something like the lighthouse you know he in this he's kind of like it's all in like his line delivery in this like terrifying monologue he gives 
when we meet him at uh, Abu Ghraib or in the kind of like just how like deadpan he's delivering this like uh, lecture about like military technology like I find him such a unsettling character maybe because he's so real like this kind of guy exists everywhere and yeah that to me is maybe scarier I guess (laughs) the way he talks about torture is like he talks about like art do you know what I mean he's he's like like, like, there's an art to it kid like he's like like, I I like you I'm gonna put you on the night shift that's where the fun stuff happens just the kind of I don't know it's almost like that the pleasure that people take in evil and like kind of making it fun for themselves and I guess like the whole the whole thing that eventually got those guys like the the people who went down for it like taking photos and it's like for them it's like a jape and it's like them finding humor in it and stuff like that and yeah and it's like like those scenes i'm not sure about you hannah like seeing it twice in a cinema Uh, i watched it at home the other day and it made me feel just as sick uh watching those scenes not just like the, the content but like that kind of stretched out like flattened fisheye just mm. like, just makes me i don't know that coupled with like the the, the heavy metal music and like yeah seeing people <laughs> kind of in these like yes i don't know yeah do you know what I mean it's depraved so- acts they're doing to people is just like oh it's just like watching it on a small tv be like oh, i need to close my eyes <laughs> i mean you know that like the fisheye is such a good touch because it really does feel like disorientating and strange and we do feel like we're not meant to be seeing this which obviously like that's what the army thought they thought we would never see what they were doing that and um i mean yeah it's just so kind of disorientating as a viewer having like that very very heavy metal music and the kind of like yellowish tint to it all it just like it's like deliberately off-putting um and then you know the stuff they're talking about is kind of in such a like matter of fact like casual way that they're talking about it and it's just like, oh my god, like these are human beings, and they're talking about them like it's like you know cattle or something. Like it's yeah. it's you know yeah, livestock. Yeah, yeah like Defoe's <sighs> character just like refers to any guys like we've got another Archimed. Do you know what I mean? And like, it's like that dehumanizing thing that no matter what your actual name is, I'm just gonna co- like basically use a kind of generic racial stereotype name to just like dehumanize them and stuff like that. And it's mm. yeah, those scenes and. You kind of, I kind of forgot how little we actually see of that stuff. It's only like a couple of flashes, but it lives so large, like kind of in the memory because they are so impactful. And I know Schrader said like he was always reticent to to use in flashbacks, but in in this case, like it kind of felt necessary. And it kind of, I think even like the aspect ratio changes because it's quite boxy and then Mm. kind of gets blown out on those moments. And it is like a, not just on like, yeah like the content of what you're seeing but like just kind of like everything aesthetics everything is just like such an assault and it's like sometimes you gotta see that and i I, i've heard people say like oh those scenes are really off-putting and it's like well duh they're supposed (laughs) to be i mean it's like (laughs) what 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 do you think abu Ghraib? like seeing what happened at abu Ghraib is supposed to be like supposed to be like oh no we're gonna we're going to ease you in here, guys. We're going you know I mean? to show you some tickling people with feathers. It's like it's Santa <laughs> Parks or something. Everyone's having a great time on a water slide. I think it's like, I think it's important as well. You know, the sparing use is obviously kind of very, I think it's done in a kind of as quote unquote tasteful way as you could do it without it feeling like exploitative. Um, because no one wants to watch that, not just from a point of view of like, it's horrible to watch, but also like we don't need to see everything to understand like, what is happening so i think like the way that he chooses to kind of what's the word distribute this information within the film is Uh is very smart but also just like it's very important to get across the relationship that um these two men had and like how easy 
it was in a lot of ways for for Tal to just do what he was told and just kind of like yeah. act like it was normal and how normalized it was within within the armed forces. I and mean, I think you need that to understand why he feels the way he does now and why it is so important to him to kind of try and stop Kirk with a C from <laughs> um uh, from going down the path that he himself has been like on the cusp of avoiding for all these years. And I think the ending obviously hits so much harder because we know the implication of like, you know, we've seen kind of what what is going to go on in that room <laughs> we, we know we don't need to see and that that i mean that i think is like of of all his movies he's made so many films over the years but like that shot of like the wall kind of like panning away is just so powerful because it's all in your mind like yeah. you know kind of you know you don't know but you you know <laughs> yeah and Paul Schrader said as well, as much as kind of chagrin at like what happened with it, the film getting shut down, he said like it actually like looking back gave him the opportunity because he hadn't filmed all of it and because it was such a short thing short shoot like he's like i've got what two quarters of the film like done and he's like i got i got a fair few scenes still to go and he's like i had a chance to edit the film and then kind of just have the actors read the lines like just kind of send him over dialogue and put in stills and stuff like that and he's like it actually gave me the opportunity you don't get in low budget to kind of he said he, he he went to martin scorsese and said like these scenes how do you think they're playing and he'd like kind of give notes and he's like when you make a low budget film people know that you've filmed everything so you can't like, they won't give you like real notes because it's like we know you haven't got any reshoot money so you like they're kind of like yeah you can get something out of that whereas on this like he had the opportunity to go I'm going to rewrite some of that stuff and make it make it work better. And it's like I feel like on my next rewatch, I'm going to be like, "What were those scenes?" Do you know what I mean? Does it kind of like lift up all of a sudden? <laughs> <laughs> Where he's had like, yeah, I don't know, like a months and months to to to, to rewrite them. I like yeah. the idea of him being him being just like, "Hey, Martin, like, can you just like give me some, you know, kind of feedback?" It's, I just love that after all these years, like they're still kind of, you know, it makes me so happy that yeah. they they have that relationship. Especially because I remember reading like, was it Silence that like um, for a while Schrader wanted to direct, like adapt and direct it, and uh, he was kind of like, "Ah, oh, you got to make this movie, Marty, because you've been sitting on it for all this time, and I want to do it. And if you don't, <laughs> you know, and I just yeah." I mean, one of the great kind of filmmaking friendships and the ways that they've like influenced each other's filmmaking and kind of made each other better in a lot of ways is, oh, yeah. is so important. And also that cross cross Christian relationship between a Calvinist and a Catholic, it's just really beautiful to see. <laughs> <laughs> Daryl, I, 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 I've noticed you've been awfully quiet. <laughs> How do you feel about the card counter? We haven't talked about as a, as a relative Schrader novice. Yeah, yeah, I'm very keen to get your take on it. I found this film so boring. <laughs> I, 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 I like wow. You were you were having like such a lovely discussion, and like obviously, it, it, I'm not going to sort of you know, you know in, invoke the spirit green goblining up like God speed, William Tell, and just throw a, like a goddamn like pumpkin bomb in there. <laughs> Um, turn us both to skeletons oh my god <laughs> I, I don't want to eviscerate anyone it's very rude just to jump in and say like I'm qu actually quite sick of you having a lovely time talking about this room. <laughs> it's, it's very rude of me to do so <laughs> I'm also obviously I'm a Schrader novice I hold my hands up and say that I'm not the most experienced w with his movies but then like I was reading some of the uh, 
the synopsis of this and it starts with in Schrader's textbook style and I think oh god how whack did Schrader write the synopsis because it feels <laughs> like he did I my notes for like the first 10 minutes was like this is a lot of stylish nothing it, it was like I I have nothing against like a slow burn movie um, and obviously I went into this completely blind didn't know anything about the movie other than the name of it I knew that Willem Dafoe was going to be in it I knew that Oscar Isaac was in it and I'd only ever seen I think around about the time it came in the cinema I'd seen the poster of sort of like Oscar Isaac sort of with that card backdrop and obviously in my head I'm thinking there's going to be some kind of pokery casino-y element which there is and then it's also a movie about the atrocities of war and I'm like well fuck (laughs) and then I I sort of find as, as a gambling and poker very dull anyway um i used to live with a guy at uni who went to the casino all the time and he was like oh how did you get on and he went oh we flim flammed on the bing river and pulled a pack of cards out my ass and like wibble wobbled sandal adam sandler to the ace of hearts i'm like what are you talking about you stupid what are you talking about what does any of this mean so it's sort of there although i did i did go to the casino once and it gave me like a five pound entry voucher and i put it on red and i won like eight pounds and then i took it to like the cash out a bit and i i was like I'm like 20 at the time, and I'm like, it's my first time at the casino. And she just looks at me like I was a piece of shit. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to go to Weatherspoons. <laughs> Obviously used to giving people hundreds of pounds. And then there was sort of attempts to tell you, like, yeah, what are you going to do is kind of count the cards and see if you're a bit small. And I'm like, listen, Oscar Isaac, you're a daddy, okay? You, you, you're, you're a big daddy. And when he's having that sort of face-to-face in the motel room with Ty Sheridan, uh, with a C, uh, and he gets the tools out, my notes were, daddy? but for me this was just it was a slow burn thing and then it was kind of like intersected with moments of fish eye atrocity and then at some point ty sheridan slipped on an ice cube and died off screen (laughs) and and I'll, I'll say, like, I have nothing against sort of Tiffany Hiddishi. Uh, um, I've only, I think I've only really ever seen her in, in The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent um, that I can think of to mind. But, like, the chemistry between the, uh, Oscar Isaac and Tiffany Hiddish didn't really work for me. Kind of felt like a weird kind of forced relationship. And then I was listening to both of you talking about this film having, like, a sense of, like, absolution. And I was like, I wish I was smart. <laughs> I wish I had the capacity to think about like films in such a smart way, but I'm such an idiot. And then Willem Dafoe, Willem Fisheye Dafoe came on. I'm like, I'm back in the game, baby. And then he goes away because he's in this film for like five minutes. And I was like, I'm kind of bored again. <laughs> and then Oscar Isaac's character covers his whole, whole motel room in like white sort of like material. I'm like, what's this all about then? There's like an interesting like character tidbit, not explained. He just writes in his sad little, sad little man journal. And then he goes into Defoe's kitchen and I don't know, just, just goes great fucking like master chef on him. I don't know what happened in there. I wanted to see what was going on in there. It looked like a great time. And then what? he's back in prison at the end. I'm like, Oh, okay. What? What I love about this, all the, st- all, all the gripes you have, Daryl are like points. Where I'm like, love that. Love, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All of like the, the, hey, the, it's the, friendly discussion, baby. The, <laughs> fact, the fact that you never know why, like, and 
and it is that kind of open interpretation and like it was on this kind of rewatch like the whole thing with the room covered it's like it makes the rooms look black and white and then when, when we see him first in Leavenworth it is in black and white at least from my memory it is like and it's mm. kind of that that dullness and it's it's a man living in purgatory basically back to that kind of religious thing and it's like casinos like you say about your friend spending hours and hours in casinos they are a purgatory for people because like mm. they are always basically they give you no illusions of if it's nighttime or daytime you can just kind of be in there and hours and hours pass and you just don't know and it's a man just whiling away the hours until he can die like you get that brilliant piece piece of uh voiceover when he kind of you get that flashback to him in leavenworth and he like steals that guy's pudding and just like takes a beating and he like he delivers that line which is i wonder if he's still alive if he is so maybe i can call him up and he can come finish the job and it's like the fact of he wants no trace of himself i think is why he does that to the hotel rooms it's not just this thing of like yeah at any moment i probably could commit atrocities again do you know what i mean some someone from my past could come after me but at the same time it's like i don't exist basically is like it's this thing of like i will live in these kind of I don't liminal spaces almost. Mm. <laughs> I will live in this black and white existence, and it it just I don't know it it looks offsetting and not cut, like for want of a better word, it does have this kind of cool, intriguing thing to it. It's like it's like could this be like Dexter setting up for one of his murders, or or is it just <laughs> like what what is it when it comes to that moment with Kirk? He takes him to the room, and it's like <laughs> my my one thing rewatching it was like. Kirk seems pretty cool about the fact that he lives like this. He doesn't mention it straight away. He doesn't go like, "What the fuck is going on here?" Like, I don't like. How would you feel, Hannah? Like, I don't know. <laughs> if it was Oscar Isaac, he, he yeah, yeah. can live how he wants. Like, I, you know, it's fine. It's totally fine by me. If he wants to put white sheets everywhere, it's totally fine. When he gets that, the tortured tools. That's like maybe, maybe where I like have a little hold, hold up a sec. Let's let's chill. Not walking out the room, you'll know. Uh, just just like let's have a conversation. Um, it's a third day discussion. <laughs> is there a safe word involved? Like, like, what are we doing here? He's like, all right, I think my Uber's waiting. I'll see you later. Well, so like, I find Ty Sheridan such an irritating screen presence. I was kind of like, oh, you know, lean forward when he gets those tortured tools out. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the end of Kirk with a C and I can finally just go back to enjoying my movie. What, <laughs> what could have been like what this film could have been and I, I imagine Schrader had no no issues with casting this person and the fact that uh, Focus Films asked him to stop writing on social media for a month while the film <laughs> came out were probably the same people who said to him no you cannot cast Shia LaBeouf as Kirk with a C like I, and I, I don't know there's something about me that thinks like would well, for much of my kind of disdain of Shia LaBeouf as a kind of person like do you know what I mean like the kind of shit mm. I think he is a kind of like yeah in his day has been like a captivating screen presence but I'm, I'm not sure if he would have derailed this film in kind of showiness in some way that's the thing yeah I think he would have been too kind of wry maybe like you know there's this kind of like not wry wry is the wrong word like sarcastic I guess like you know I'm just thinking of him in like Indiana Jones that kind of like I, I also think he's maybe a little bit old to have played mm -hmm. that role um i think like ty sheridan just about gets away with it he's like mid-20s he would have been in like kind of early 20s when they shot it i guess because you want someone who's still at that point in their life where they they're at a crossroads and they're, they're deciding you know which is kind of william's whole thing it's like i want to 
stop him making the same mistakes that I made at a similar age. And yeah, I think that as much as I kind of, I don't think Ty Sheridan is very compelling screen presence. I do think he kind of works in this context. Whereas I think anyone kind of more well-known would have maybe been a bit, you know, it would have gone completely the other way and it would have been like overpowering, especially because like the other people in the film are so kind of like... You know, these characters are very withholding um, and all the other kind of like poker players are like, I think a lot of them are actual poker players who were just kind of <laughs> showing was like, ah, you're around, like just come and like sit at the table and like, you know, puff out yeah. the cast a little bit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think maybe I, I mean, I'm glad he didn't cast Charlotte for a multitude of reasons, but I also think it, it would have been distracting in the context of the film. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what I did like. Um, I mean, two things. I mean, the, the quiet conversations... Uh, between say Oscar Isaac and Ty Sheridan, I think there's one they have in um, is it the diner or something like that, and he's showing like, oh, this is the best hand of poker that I've ever yeah. seen, and. I can't remember if it's if it's the same location or elsewhere where he sort of tells me about his past and he's kind of he's like he's sort of slightly welling up and he says like you have to sort of be crazier than the craziness to sort of ride the wave in it and you have to laugh at what's going on otherwise you're not going to survive and like I, I do think that Oscar Isaac um, overall gave like a very good performance I think the rest of the cast were serviceable at best like Ty Sheridan fine so I think I only really know him from joe which apparently mm-hmm. nicholas cage recommended him for the role if imdb is to believed when when shire sort of dropped out well the second drop out kicked off <laughs> important, <laughs> distinction, important distinction kicked off very important distinction the other thing i really enjoyed and this is again we talk about the meme brain of, of the silliest goose of podcasting daryl edge here i want a film about mr usa all right um <laughs> Uh, the the uh, is it the Ukrainian playing the jingoistic character of just uh, the ultra American who is just somehow uh, unbeatable at poker? <laughs> oh god, I want to know about that guy. Paul Schrader uh, like has some amazing like kind of has talked about why that character is there, and he said like it's a red herring to make you feel like he's more important than he is. There'll be some some big showdown with him, and it talks about his love of Bruce Springsteen because I think like. <laughs> In his kind of when he came back from his hiatus off of Facebook, he said like the things I've been up to is like I saw Bruce Springsteen on Broadway for a second time and like I loved it and like he talked about that whole thing of born in the USA and the fact that like Americana can and a song like that can kind of just be warped and Mr. USA is that kind of like that warping of. Mm the the becomes like a do you know what I mean like born in the USA becomes a right wing like anthem where it's like if sure. you listen to the lyrics like oh uh, as Jason Bateman points out in air I was just gonna say I was just gonna say like, nobody nobody in the eighties was having that conversation like, but, <laughs> but um but if, yeah I think yeah Mr USA like just kind of all of those kind of scumbaggy characters that like is it like slippery joe like the guy in one casino <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. all of them you could like you could see the camera just like turning to them and you could follow them for a bit because they all feel like, like yeah hannah you mentioned like a lot of them are real poker players and stuff like that but it's like obviously someone who plays like slippery joe feels like an, an, an actor as well and it's like you could just step it that so lived in you could step into their worlds and it would be just there's like bleak and depressing probably even though they didn't commit atrocities in Abu Ghraib. <laughs> yeah I do think it it feels like uh, uh, not only like uh, a real place but like a very accurate description of that kind of like 
almost like haunted like middle america where like it it looks so people don't like photograph or like focus on those corners of america typically i think and it's something i really liked about uh, first reformed as well is that it was in this little church in upstate new york you know kind of the 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 back end of nowhere but not like so far away from civilization that you feel like you're in a kind of like stephen king novel or something you Mm. know there's this kind of like anonymity i guess to um the settings in the card counter which is the point you know um oscar Isaac's character talks about like only going to these like small casinos like not hitting up like the big leagues i guess Mm. because it's a lot easier to cheat at kind of like poker that um uh is like smaller stakes um and you know i think like i don't know how paul trader manages to turn around these scripts so quickly when they feel so detailed like i i i'm just like constantly in awe of his productivity more than anything like he's like he, he talks about how many scripts he has like just kind of sitting around like it's and he's his, yeah like you said, he's a man who like to to kind of hear him on interviews and to kind of look at a picture of him like that is a man knocking on death's door yeah he is like <laughs> he is more productive than like directors like kind of half his age do you know what I mean he's like they're kind of like I think I think kind of trawling through his Facebook he's like posted a photo from a from a hospital bed being like my retina like came loose and like I'm kind of I'm back to it baby like let's let's get back out and make the master gardener so <laughs> what the fuck is this guy doing like is <laughs> Jenny, like... yeah that was that was I think the master gardener was the one he shot like he delayed having surgery because he was just really determined to get this film done yeah <laughs> it's just like dude like he's he's 77 which is obviously like you know it's not young but it's not that old either like he's still got like you know a few years in him if he looks after himself i think everyone who likes his films is just kind of like paul just like you know yeah even if you're not taking a day off because obviously like from everything scorsese said we know that's very hard at their age to like take a day off but like just kind of like you know make sure you're getting your vitamin c and whatnot like we can't, <laughs> can't, can't like lose you just yet and uh, yeah he, he, bless him it was like don't you don't want to infantilize a kind of 77 year old man who is like infinitely more talented and you know kind of more um prolific than i will ever be but like at the same time i'm like dude like come on like ch- just chill a little bit like take, <laughs> take, take a second um man's got yeah, hustle I mean, he's got drive you don't get like you also like you don't across like the filmmaking he's doing now i think it's like it's some of the best filmmaking he's ever done and it's to have that kind of like energy and that zeal because obviously like he's someone who's been through a real journey you know he really fell out of favor um something like the canyons and as as, you know dying of the light and doggy dog like that they were considered like the kind of nadir of his filmmaking i I actually really like the canyons i think it's good but um you know (laughs) he's kind of been through like a lot as a filmmaker um and it's like it was nice to see him have this thing where he's been through the ringer he came back with first reformed which obviously did so incredibly well you know his um he was nominated for best original screenplay at the oscars like he he really like it was a kind of a comeback story and he's found this whole kind of like second appreciation especially with a younger audience um through like how iconic his facebook rants are and you know kind of he does seem to like embrace that kind of like um slightly um notorious <laughs> um reputation he's got now yeah i love it whenever he's on a press trail and he's like okay guys i'm quitting social media for a bit because distributors are telling me i have to like it's, it's very <laughs> it's very funny to me like I, I love it when that happens 
he kind of like I, I'm fascinated by Paul Schrader in that sense, and like I'm like some of the the views he poses on like social media and that, and the, the fact that he's kind of courted such like a kind of like switched on generation. Do you know what I mean? And he will be kind of like doing like things about like come on like when, when they're gonna put when they're gonna put Kevin Spacey back in movies or kind of like says some, says some I've got a screenshot here of like the tweet. The, the the Facebook post he did before asking, like before uh, Focus Films asked him to take a hiatus, which is it is really so hard to keep touching attractive women in your presence if they work for you. Oh no, is it really so hard? Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, it is. The evidence seems conclusive, but it can be done. It's like. No, yeah, that's that's case in point, Paul. That's why people are saying, let's shut this shit down for a while. Like, <laughs> you can ruin oh, us. God. Yeah, he, yeah, I mean, I have to kind of take the rough with the smooth with him. I think, like, this is the, th- the thing of, like, being a film fan, being a critic. You have to kind of be like, okay, well, the film they're making is not, you're not endorsing them as a human being and, like, everything they've ever said. And I think he is kind of one of the more, like, you, you, you know he's got some, like, views and so he said some things that you're like oh, for god's sake like it's so embarrassing to be a Paul Schrader fan sometimes and like people bring this stuff up and you're like yeah I know like I, it's you know it's kind of like <laughs> yeah, having a sports sure. team that you're just kind of like oh my god they lost again this is so embarrassing but like you know I I think it, he also seems very willing to learn and there's been a couple of times where he has like said something on social media and then like a few days later he's kind of like had a good chat with everyone thanks for thanks for like educating me and that I think is like a really like that seems like a valuable trait that he is willing to kind of like engage in a, in the way a lot of filmmakers I think would rather shut down. Not even a lot of filmmakers, a lot of people would rather just kind of shut down. And, you know, kind of would rather you know just uh, keep saying their piece over and over again. And he does seem kind of yeah a little bit more open to debate, which can be annoying, <laughs> but uh, also like is is kind of encouraging. And I think like mm-hmm. it's very interesting to like see him maybe be a little less cynical i think in his more recent films um i think certainly in like master gardener it feels like there's like a hopefulness at the end of that film and maybe at the end of the car counter as sad as it all is and kind of like horrifying um you know the kind of final moment in that film where where the credits come up is i think very beautiful i think he's just so what's the word so articulate when it comes to like modern america i think he sees it so clearly in a way that a lot of um fil- other filmmakers and other artists try to and don't quite get there he he said on the 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 fact of this film ended up in barack obama's end of year like list of favorite films <laughs> and he's asked about it at a q a and they said like well, what do you think about that and he's like i'm so surprised that someone so high up in politics has good taste and i find it crazy that somebody who probably who well who definitely had a hand in these atrocities <laughs> has the has the balls to kind of come out on record and say I like this movie um and to that point you're saying like him learning and kind of like being switched on it's a beautiful quote I listened to an interview with him and he said that when he made Taxi Driver the kind of like the final statement of that is like before I go I just want to say fuck you whereas like when he gets to like these films and I think it's like the end of Master Gardener he kind of says at the end of that film it's like before I go I just want to say I love you yeah you get that in like the you get that in the card counter as well it's like there is an earlier version of this by Paul Schrader which is we don't see the phone call to the police of Oscar Isaacs turn himself in we just kind of like we see the violence and yeah. that, that is where we're left. We're left on just the, the brutal violence of it all, the kind of this man has got the revenge that he 
like deep down wanted all, all, all along and that's where we leave it whereas now it's like maybe there is hope like if there's hope for for this man who has done this then there is hope for all of us which is like yeah oh, great great stuff yeah yeah it's like such a bleak film can kind of leave you on on, on mm. such a, a kind of moment where you're like do you know what if i go to prison all i want is somebody to be on the other side of that glass putting a finger to it <laughs> like yeah <laughs> well if when, when when i go to prison all right guys like, <laughs> well, even like even like in first reformed you know the end of that film where it's like oh he's got a, a bomb strapped to his chest and barbed wire and then amanda seafood comes in and they there's this like moment of kind of like uh, just like love like that kind of cat catches him off guard and like i yeah i mean i think like it's <sighs> such awful things happen in his films like even in master gardener which is mostly a film about gardening um but yeah there is this kind of undercurrent of like tenderness which i think people maybe find surprising from him certainly if you if you watch his earlier films like if you've watched something like hardcore it's like oh my god this is like <laughs> this is like a very different filmmaker um hardcore. even like Hardcore, you might like Daryl because it's basically it's basically eight millimeter. Okay, <laughs> it's okay. basically eight millimeter with George C. Scott, who poses to be a porn producer at one point with a fake mustache. Like, <laughs> like eight millimeter, you got yourself a bitch. I'm back in the room. <laughs> I was kind of wondering though, with all this, like you know, Paul Schrader, the social media presence versus like Paul Schrader, the director, as like, it seems like an absolute loose cannon online. It's like, I, I want to do a deep dive on his Facebook. And then I'm also sort of wondering, uh, you know, as, as you said, Hannah, I think the films that I've seen are probably considered the dregs of his work. <laughs> so maybe with the exception of bringing out the dead, you know, maybe I have I just not seen the right Paul Schrader films to sort of turn me on onto, um, you know, what he's all about, what the kind of style mm. of it is, 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 is all about as well. But I, I suppose I go into this, again, as I said, like a, a Joe Schmo cinema sort of thing, reading these kind of reviews after the fact and thinking like, at the same time, like I get at this point in his career, obviously he has a style and there, there is a message in his films that he wants to portray, but I also don't feel like I need to have seen all those movies to get what's going on. You shouldn't. Not really, because, you know, again, you were talking about how lovely sort of the end credits scene was where they got the fingers on, like, the glass, and I was watching it thinking, like, this is going on for quite a while. The hands must be aching. (laughs) (laughs) Do you see them shake a bit? (laughs) I I know. It's like I I would not have the the dexterity and fortitude to sort of keep my sort of finger pressed against that. I'm I'm like, can we talk? Can you say hello? <laughs> what, what's going? What's going on here? Poetic, I do think you should you should watch um, Light Sleeper, which was his first collaboration with uh, Willem Dafoe, and uh, it's got Susan Sarandon in it, and uh, it was uh, shot by Ed Lackman, who's a great American cinematographer. Um, that I think is more kind of maybe a little bit more accessible. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, it's basically about a, a drug dealer who kind of becomes involved in this very kind of like tragic chain of events following an encounter with his ex and it's very good it's uh yeah kind of like peak 90s gritty crime thriller um and Will Underfair is really good in that he's like got he's having a midlife crisis he can't sleep at night like it's yeah it's really good it's very um I that was like I watched that for the first time a few years ago and I kind of that was actually before I'd seen um First Reformed I think or it might have been just after I think when I was kind of like oh 
I should watch more trailer films. Anyway, it's very good. And it actually ends quite similarly to The Card Counter. So it makes like a very nice companion piece. I, yeah, I, I, I love the fact that Paul Schrader has gone, I've got a thing and I'm going to like just rinse it for all it's worth. And like the fact that he's, he's done this trilogy that all kind of like, and it kind of bring us back to The Card Counter. They all have these magic, magic realist moments like in first reform you have like the levitation scene in uh, master gardener you have the scene where like the garden comes to life and in this it's kind of a bit more grounded but still quite kind of fantastical you have that scene uh with them going to like a, a display of christmas lights which what yeah what I, i'm gonna ask you this first daryl just because you're the kind of like one who's going eh, fuck this <laughs> like what like what, 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 what did you kind of think of that on like a yeah did, did you get anything from that did did, did it move you at all did you get i don't mind saying that i felt nothing <laughs> i felt nothing we Aww. talked about the score earlier and i was like this doesn't work for me at all it just felt like paul schrader thought this was good and just put it in like oh, just I, jarring heavy metal i just thought the score was like really the score took me out of it so much honestly i thought the score just didn't work at all they're walking through all the christmas lights and i'm like there are points at this with like some of the direction and like the shots and i get it was like low budget and i saw that they had like one two takes or whatever so i i get the sort of the urgency in the filming and all that and i think that you know when you make it a low budget movie like that and you've got those restrictions I think it's really like fucking admirable that like you get in the shots that you get in. But I also thought they were so fucking like just artsy fartsy for the sake of it and pretentious. And I think what it boils down to me, and again, as he's documented, you know, maybe I've just not seen the right Paul Schrader films. I'm very open to sort of checking out more. Don't get me wrong. But it all, I think a lot of it comes back to me, what we're talking about, that old uh, Rotten Tomatoes divide of like a critic versus audience. And it, a lot of this movie kind of felt for me, like I know I'm not the audience for this at all. Like I get that, that's absolutely fine. But it kind of felt like at some points for me, I don't, I didn't really know who the audience was, but then it kind of felt like, it felt like people who are film fan, film fans, and in critical circles are kind of who this was aimed at. And I don't think Paul Schrader is necessarily the type of guy who's uh, specifically writing films to appeal to a critical crowd. That's not the vibe I get from him. I don't think that's what he does. But it feels like if you're sort of deep in that sort of circle of like film fan and, um, you know, films are life, which is cool, which is fine. Like this is for you, you can get a lot out of it. But if you sort of Go to. I feel like I was the person in the cinema around you guys whilst you were watching this and having a great time, looking like, why is no one else enjoying this? <laughs> There's me just like looking in my popcorn bag, going, oh, I'm ten pound on snacks. So I'm 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 so excited about this, just on a kind of like larger podcast level, because this is another director that Willem Dafoe works with a lot that you don't like. So so far we have Abel Ferrara, we have. Wes Anderson oh my God. <laughs> and, and we have Paul Schrader so these episodes I know going through <laughs> in season two by like season seven it's gonna be me and you Daryl like going I'm gonna be like fucking light sleepers are hit and you're <laughs> gonna be like no like it's just gonna be like our guest and it, it's, it probably is getting to this right now is like our guest is just gonna be like a, a, a child of divorce with their parents like oh. screaming at each other <laughs> 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 and like 
as that child sitting on the stairs, as their parents argue, I I feel like it's going to be cathartic for me when we get to those episodes. <laughs> bit of kind yeah. of a kind of a bit of like kind of a acting role play like therapy for me to be like. <laughs> let's, let's do it from the other side like, maybe uh, I, think, I think i just hate collaboration yeah i think i think i just don't care for it uh let's say like i said I, I i we said it on the grand budapest episode like i don't really enjoy wes anderson he's one as someone I, I feel like i should really enjoy but i just don't click with him abel ferrara or abel go away um mm. good one daryl and this uh, and and sort of now with like Paul Schrader and like I'm I just I don't know like I feel like I'm about eight years old like I just don't get it you can't just keep flashing a lot of bright colors in in front of me and have a guy speak all melancholic and call it art because I don't like it and it makes me scared because I don't understand it all right it makes me feel like a, it makes me feel dumb <laughs> and then i do that thing right you read reviews afterwards and like did anyone else not like it and then everyone else like a lot of people on letterbox really enjoyed it again which is absolutely fine although i will say my favorite review of this on letterbox and i, I won't sort of name names uh, but the review is there's a scene in this movie written by a wonderful 75 year old man in which ty sheridan explains to oscar isaac what google maps is <laughs> And I was like, yes, finally someone gets how I feel about this. <laughs> See, I think that's great because Oscar Isaac was in prison. So, of course, he doesn't know what Google Maps is. <laughs> but I feel like someone has had that conversation. There are a couple of moments and like, I think, I think Willem Dafoe uses the word pussified. And I was like, that is, that is, that, that is like, as we've seen by Paul Schrader's Facebook, that is exactly a line. He's, I reckon that was a scene they filmed later on. Cause he's like, I put that in my Facebook post. That's good. In the specified <laughs> producers, like when that's you've got goals, you've got gold. You know. <laughs> like I, I saw on IMDb, and again, like anyone can put stuff on IMDb. So take this with a grain of salt. But in the trivia section, I think there's one of the scenes where I think the Oscar Isaac voiceover is explaining some of the workings of a various card game. Um, I think it might be the act of like card counting. Could be Texas Hold'em. But someone said there's like a YouTube tutorial. Yeah. And it's apparently sort of taken almost word for word. Which I from from like a lazy man perspective, um, I kind of think like can't say I wouldn't have done differently. So I mean, I think I think he I think Schrader even said it's from a wired video, which is like, um, you know, if someone's out there explaining it <laughs> You know, he's like, I'm not gonna pretend I know more about card counting than the card counters. Uh, but it is it, it is quite I've funny. Domain now. <laughs> I don't think he care like he he himself doesn't care for poker. I think he's like he's on the the poker in your ear podcast, which is the official poker stars podcast. And uh, he used to be in a couple of online poker games. Yes, he was in Paul Dino's poker game, and he got you got removed because he kept making weird comments to the yes. women. <laughs> Uh, he actually goes into the comments he made he said to a woman like have you have you got a boyfriend she said yes like uh, is is he attractive enough to deserve you and then made made her get up a photo of the guy for everyone in the poker group to rate him and decide whether he was attractive enough to date her and like he said to his own admission he said when you're playing poker face to face like you can have a friend kind of give you a look to be like 
chill yeah. the fuck out and it's like it happened to be the guy who would do that for him over zoom wasn't there both those nights and got him kicked out of two separate <sighs> clubs but he's his way of playing and this kind of says all, all he is for poker when he like didn't want to play anymore he would just go all in and like <laughs> really annoy everyone else but like he could actually win this hand but he's made us all go all in so he could just win the tournament but he's like i just wanted to watch the football instead he's so funny he's so real for that i'm the same i can't concentrate like long enough to play a card game like you Uno know I, nothing. I, I i i'm i'm with him like i i i do think it's it's funny that I enjoy watching films about like gambling because I yeah, have no interest in real life. Like someone is like, oh, do you want to play? Like, I don't know. Even Uno, I'm like, do, like we, he, do we have to play Uno? Like, he cherry picks the things like the, the, when he describes like the games, like with Blackjack, it, they are all just surrogates for like the way of life for this character. Mm. Like, and, and, and the same with the same when he talks about like, uh, explaining what like going like tilt is in poker of that kind of and he, he he relates it to interrogation and like when he's talking about yeah blackjack he kind of says like when you're counting cards you got to make those small risks and and that's his life right he's he's there he's, he doesn't bet enough money and I, I find all of that stuff like it's it's inconsequential like the, the the card plan is inconsequential to what the film is all about and i think like you've explained daryl like and i imagine this is for a lot of the kind of general public is you expect this film to be it's oh, it's going to be like do you know what I mean all about the card playing and stuff like that and then you're kind of slapped around the face with Abu Grade and it's like whoa like, <laughs> like, you know I mean? like, like, they got they got to sell a film somehow and it's like you can't really go like hey they can't really show those fish-eyed shots in a trailer and be, expect people to turn up do you know what I mean like focus films aren't gonna be like that's, that's what's getting people in it's gonna be the it's gonna yeah. be the flashy card stuff <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. You go in there expecting Ocean's Eleven, and you come out like traumatized and <laughs> thinking about um, the atrocities of the War on Terror. Yeah, no, I, I do understand. Yeah, the, why there might have been some like crossed wires <laughs> yeah. for audience members. <laughs> you think you're going into Ocean's Eleven, then Danny Ocean just spits in your face. Do you know what I mean? Again, wouldn't be opposed to that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, sometimes, sometimes and maybe I think this is the risk and the risk and reward sort of trade-off of going into these films blind. Like you think it's going to be one thing, and then you come out of it thinking like, "God, everything's bad, isn't it? This isn't good. God, now I feel sad." And now I don't want like you know now poker's just now sad instead of boring. <laughs> I don't want to ever learn to play poker. I could, <laughs> I could barely play. The, chess my other half tried to teach me how to play chess and i think my direct quote was what do you mean this one moves in an l shape and then i basically had what was tantamount to an anxiety attack because i couldn't handle the way the pieces moved and, and i said i have to put this away now so i don't i don't know i miss mr usa <laughs> You know, he he seemed like the only character who was having a good time. <laughs> I think that's fair. Yeah, I think he probably was. <laughs> yeah, I want to chant USA and not feel anything. <laughs> you said you didn't like the score, Daryl. I'm going to read a direct quote from my notes, which is, the score fucking slaps. <laughs> I loved it. Like, oh. I really like the score as well. Yeah, that, that song, good. like, is it the, like, 
like it's just like it, it it does sound a bit kind of like we can't get we can't get trent reznor can you kind of <laughs> give us that vibe but like i don't hate him for it like i'm the like listening like watching the film with headphones on there's like breathing throughout the score and stuff like that as well and like the sound design on this film i thought was like pretty great like the fact that like you just constantly bombarded with the sound of like the casino and like the chatter it's like it's it's like a Robert Altman film turned down a bit. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's like it's like kind of learning those techniques. We're like, let's not let's not go too far, okay? Let's not let's, <laughs> let's not put it all at eleven. Let's kind of turn it down. But yeah, I love that. It's like, and I think Paul Schrader said it, it's like um a, like a caged beast that throughout the film, and like that's where that breathing comes from. It's like that thing of like yeah, Oscar Isaac. Yeah, it's that thing of like he is a caged beast just waiting to kind of burst out, and it's. I think it all all of the kind of uh, single parts add up to the whole for for for, for me. I just think you're a fucking idiot, Daryl. Right? <laughs> it's, it's a good job that I live in the north, Petros, because I'd be, we'd be having words. We'd be duking out in the town square. It's all for show. People were friends, really. It's all it's all, it's all banter. It's all banter. <laughs> Petros, he said with gritted teeth. But I, I certainly think before me and Petros come to digital blows <laughs> about my about about bits and pieces. It's all in good fun, people. It's all in good fun. I think it's an appropriate moment to start wrapping up on uh, on the card counter here. So we've got a few bits of business. Of course, we've got to attend to the first of which as ever, is uh, in the time we get with Defoe, does he do deface? Uh, so Hannah, yourself first. Do we get a good deface from Willem in the card counter? I mean, we we kind of do. We get, like, I, I think it's more to do with the angle. We we, mm-hmm. we get that amazing shot of him, like, kind of, like, ang- like face like angled up, like, towards the fisheye, which we talked about earlier, um, which is, like, he, he's not even really, like, his face isn't really doing anything it's quite like it's it's just a a very funny shot like i think because it just out of context looks really weird and bizarre and um not menacing at all it just looks like a a, you know a a guy who works at home depot like on his break or something like looking looking into like the camera you know like like the um the camera in like the break room or something um so i would say yes but like it's kind of like you know it's it it's not necessarily Willem Dafoe's like um standard like you know kind of when you think of Willem Dafoe you think of like eyes popping out of his head kind of like grimacing you know uh, or like doing some sort of crazy crazy grin but um mm. it's a very good a, a very good face all the same so we've got one deface on a detechnicality uh <laughs> Petros a deface for you yay or nay before I get to my deface, what one thing I, I would be remiss not to mention is in those fisheye moments, there is something that happens where like the the legs get shrunk, and there is like as as horrifying as everything is, there is like a comp and like the way that they walk, it's almost like I don't know, um, Willem Dafoe like looks, he lo- he just looks so funny, like he looks squashed. And he's kind of like walking with such urgency, but it's like his feet are like kicking out. He's almost got like a Charlie Chaplin-esque walk. And <laughs> I've got in my notes, yeah, I think that that I think it is the fish eye that adds to the to the to the to the deface. And it's uh it's a light. But I feel like we were robbed of a smorgasbord of defaces with not seeing the torture scene. Because I feel like if Defoe, yeah, if true. we saw him getting tortured, we would kind of be like 
it'd be off the scale, right? Would kind of be a, <laughs> would be here for another hour just dissecting all of the kind of pieces he does throughout that. But um, I think on that, I think because it is a, a, a like a camera trick, and it is just his like resting Defoe face. <laughs> I'm gonna have to say there is no. There is, there is no face in this film. I'm gonna, I'm gonna j- just because of all of the films we've talked about and the kind of the parameters we've we, we've set ourselves. Uh, yeah, no, no deface from it. Yeah, I, I think I have to agree. Like th- th- the millennial in me wants to say yes because of that goddamn fish eye, but <laughs> we, we've we've been very strict. We've set ourselves parameters, and to be truthful to ourselves um, and what we've set out, uh, I have to give it a, a begrudging no to face from me. Although I'm not happy about it. <laughs> um, and, and likewise, if we'd seen that torture scene, who knows what we could have unearthed in there. Now, for one of our, uh, of course, continuing new features in season two, we're looking specifically at the character of uh, Major Gordo himself. We ask, does the character have BDE, big Defoe energy, big dick energy, uh, whichever you may prefer there? So, um, Hannah, Gordo, BDE, what are we thinking? I think it's a hard no, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know that the smallest, the smallest uh, Defoe energy and uh, say quite quite small dick energy as well, um, as I think any arms manufacturer has. <laughs> um, yeah, That's it's as, as our arms manufacturer slash, tor- slash torturer slash soldier. He has many hats in this film, um, but yeah, no, it's it's a very like kind of low key performance for Defoe. Um, yeah, he doesn't get any kind of you know cage rage freakouts um he just kind of like does his little thing and um is very menacing but like it's yeah it's it's not a, a kind of um i'd say it's like you know like maybe a four on the richer scale of like defoe performances like it's yeah it, it's quite a minor one mm-hmm. yeah very much so very much so and then same question petros bde where do you stand Small dick energy all the way with the phone. This one, do you know what I mean? The fact that he's a war criminal, that's like that's big, that's big, that's big, that's micro dick energy. <laughs> that's like that's uh, yeah, that's kind of like come yeah. on, you, mean, you want to make me sit for a lecture on facial recognition software? No, thank you, buddy. Take your uh, take take your 10 point facial scan and stick it up your ass, mate. I don't want to don't hear any about anything about it. No, I don't think there's any points in the in the big dick energy column this week like we've debated it in previous episodes but in this one it's just all small dick energy absolutely and i've said this before as much as i appreciate that glorious mustache which in any other movie would have uh, been on the b the scale with plus points um it's pales in comparison to war crimes um unfortunately <laughs> having a good mustache does not excuse you from being a trash human being so it is a three for three absolutely no bde from major gordo it may even extend to be as episodes and seasons go by the smallest non-existent bde that we've um that we will ever encounter on getting the for you and uh in terms of that you know we we move on to our final portion of the wrap-up here a third question our uh, final rating final thoughts on the film and of course we don't just give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down in classic defoe style we ask in a round table format, are we giving this a defriend or a defoe? We begin with our guest, Hannah. 
the uh, friend or the foe on the card counter for yourself. Uh, very, very much different for me on on the film. Um, he he is very much the foe in this film. Um, he's the the primary antagonist. But um, yeah, the the film is uh, magnificent in my opinion. It's a big a big different to me. A big old friend there. So that's one to friend in the column. Uh, Petros, same question to friend or the foe. It's a friend from me. It's it, it's a film that I. I've watched twice and like already watching it a second time. I'm like, I'm definitely going to revisit this. Like, and it's meant like, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to finish this uh, call and I'm going to dive into either the first reformed or the master gardener. So I'm kind <laughs> of, I'm, I'm, I'm Paul Schrader pilled right now, baby. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm this is a big old, the friend from me. I love it. Two the friends. And I think, Probably no surprise that it is uh, going to be a Defoe from me on the card counter. Uh, card counter, more like card counting sheep. Um, <laughs> yeah, just, just, just not for me. Just a little, a little flat. The the character relationships didn't really work. I, I, I you know, I don't like war crimes. I don't like poker, which is worse. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I just couldn't find anything to sort of really grab onto on this one, but. Like I say, I'm, I'm not I'm not tapping out on Schrader because ob- in terms of obligation, I have to watch more. Uh, <laughs> but I, from what you described, Hannah, I'm I'm very game for Light Sleeper. I'm very game for Light Sleeper. So we sort of ran off there with two to friends and one to foe, and uh, maybe at some point Petros will be chidding me for my, <laughs> for my opinions. <laughs> so, hey, hey, there, there we go. That, that's uh, that's how we do things on here. So before we we sign off and we sign out, we cash our chips and leave this casino in the rear view mirror, uh, it's left for us to say, Hannah Strong, thank you so much for taking the time to discuss the card counter. The card counter, I should say. <laughs> I've lost my mind uh, with us. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on getting to for you for the listeners where can we find you online and on social medias and uh, all that good business as well oh gosh um so i predominantly can be found um on twitter for as long as that lasts um at the third hand um i have the same handle on all my social media so it's the same on blue sky it's the same on instagram um yeah i i mean we'll see we'll see what elon musk does with the website but um <laughs> for the time being like as of recording this today um uh, it still exists so uh yeah i'm there and then i am um usually found at little white liars on uh the truth in movies podcast uh we're, we we publish weekly i am not always on it but um i'm on it every so often and uh then i'm kind of publishing interviews reviews features on littlewhilelies.com lwlies.com i should say um every day so yeah that's 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 mainly where i am wonderful stuff so all the links in the description as per usual and as we come to the end it is left for us to say i've been daryl i've been petros i've been hannah and we've been getting defoe you And there we have it, episode five, the card counter. Yeah, a little, a little. I think it was a, uh, was it maybe a first for the season? The first time I've disagreed with both you and the, yeah. the, the guest. I think in yeah. the show, 
Yeah, our, our, our hands have all been shown at this poker table. Oh. And, and, and uh, depending on how you're looking at it, Daryl's either got a royal flush and he's, uh, people agree with him, or he's, he's, he's hit himself on a, on a dud here. So who, who knows? Royal flush this one down the toilet. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, always interesting when you uh, sort of listen to people discuss something that they enjoy and you thought was an absolute fart in a toilet bowl. <laughs> I just wish it was across the board the friends because then we could have had the glorious pun of you saying well it's a full house on the friends never i will never <laughs> ever you'll never mark my words <laughs> dear friends and dear listeners but uh a, a delightful conversation overall and sometimes a bit of healthy disagreement among chums is a is a, is a really good thing. We can't agree on everything all the time. It'd make for bloody boring listening, wouldn't it? And I love the fact that we're getting on those disagreements of directors that it's not just like one and done the faux guys. These are directors he works with all the time. So you're out on Wes, you're out on Abel Ferrara, and you're now out on Schrader for all intents and purposes. I do not care for these names. <laughs> they, they mean nothing to me. Nothing. I'm a god, goddammit. But yeah, I mean, obviously, we'll see what other directors pop up, what directors return. Will my opinion change? Will it still stay the same? Join us under the Folk Emotion train. Uh, there's only one way to know for certain. But if you are under the Folk Emotion train, of course, thank you for listening as ever. And it was a pleasure to have more bodies on this uh, Folk Emotion. And, of course, we've got to thank Matt as we always do for editing the episode. Now, if I could describe someone's editing in card terms, now that's a full house, baby, and other such poker puns, which I don't understand because I don't have the capacity to do so. See, without Matt, we are just two lonely men going to our respective motel rooms, tying fabric and twine around all of the furnishings, living this solitary, prison-like life. But Matt is that young whippersnapper to give us purpose in our lives of podcasting and make us feel something again. He is the Kirk with a C to our lonely William Tells. Thank you, Matt, as ever. <laughs> Keeping us on the old straight and narrow. So, you know, when the fun stops, we stops. And that's Gambling 101, baby. But with that said you know we go cash out our chips at the casino and uh we go to something a little more uh you know some say you can find religion on the roulette wheel some say you can find religion out in the uh the plains of morocco as for next week what well what are we talking about next week petros next week's biblical baby because we're going to be talking about martin scorsese's 1988 biblical epic the last temptation of christ where we are joined by an absolute the the authority on all things biblical movies uh, we're joined by matthew page the author of a hundred biblical films he's written the bloody book on it we can't get we can't get better than that <laughs> <laughs> the bfi the british film institute bloody published the thing so yeah a delightful very very fun conversation we've got coming up for you next week but in the meantime you know if you've got some thoughts some feelings about the card counter we told you at the top we'll tell you again there's a load of old places you can reach out to have a little conversation with us and uh petros where might they be? Oh, we'll always be taking your casino chips over on at Defoe You Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Or if you want to talk royal flushes and full houses and any other terms, I don't know the 
the, the terminology for because I'm not a gambling man. You can find us at DefoeUPod at gmail.com. And as ever, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Absolutely. So if you enjoy what we're doing, be sure to let us know about it. And um helps the podcasts grow, helps more people get aboard the Defoe Motion Train, which is uh, never a bad thing in the end. But with that said, we wrap up here the midway point of Season 2, and we say thank you for listening. If you have been, we will see you next week as we continue to cover all the highs, all the lows, and all things Willem Dafoe right here on Getting Dafoe You. So until then, until then, bye-bye for now. Bye! Getting Dafoe You, getting to know all about Willem. Getting to like you by watching all your films. Getting to foe you, we'll start with Heaven's Gate And we'll watch them all till the present day